You know, all the experts tell me that when it comes to preaching, the best way to start a sermon is by making a connection with the congregation. You know, maybe, maybe talk about some need that people have. Uh, or, or maybe talk about what's in the news these days, because we're all sort of connected to that. Uh, or maybe tell a funny story, because, you know, you can get people to laugh, and then you sort of, you got, you got their attention. Uh, or maybe, maybe tell some really heart-wrenching story that grabs their attention, you know, and, and so they're just wrapped in enthusiastically yours. Well, whatever you do, the experts say, never, ever tell the congregation the secrets to starting a good sermon. Well, it might be no surprise to you that sometimes I find it personally difficult to follow the rules that I consider to be arbitrary. (laughs) And so let's begin this sermon with something that I'm sure was on your mind all throughout the morning as you were getting ready for church today, and that topic is ancient Jewish binatarianism. Oh, yes, you say. Yes! You're, I know you're excited about that. I, I, I'm sure that some, someone here might say, I was just telling my wife last week how I haven't heard the preacher talk enough about ancient Jewish binatarianism. Well, today is your lucky day. And since we don't believe in luck, we might more precisely say, today is your blessed day. And so what is ancient Jewish binatarianism, you ask? Well, that's an odd question for you to ask, given your conversation with your wife last week, asking for more of it. But uh, for the the help of the uninformed person sitting next to you, I'll explain what it is. Ancient Jewish binatarianism is this, that during the second temple period, in other words, around the time when Jesus was on the earth, a growing number of Jewish theologians and rabbis began to believe and teach that there are two persons who are called Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament. Now, this belief occurred well before Christians came along and began to teach about God being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, you know that Christians, we believe in the Trinity. The word Trinity is a simple word. Tri means three, like a tricycle, a tripod. Tri means three. Unity means whole or complete or one. And so the word Trinity literally means sort of three and one, or three in one, you might say. Uh, And so Christians are Trinitarians. Well, many ancient Jewish theologians and rabbis were binatarians. Bi means two. Bicycle, right? Two wheels. And so unity, of course, still means whole and complete or one. And so the idea was that there are, at least as they understood the Hebrew Scriptures, as they understood what we would call the Old Testament, there seemed to be two persons. And what they would say more specifically is two powers. They wouldn't talk in the terms of persons. They'd talk in the terms of powers. And powers is actually a title for God sometimes in in the Hebrew Scriptures. But there seem to be, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, two 
persons, both of which were identified as Yahweh. And now, this isn't a threat to monotheism, to which Jews believe in one God, because they were still believing in one God. There is one God overall. There's Yahweh. He is overall. But in the Hebrew Scriptures, he sort of seems to uh, show up differently in different stories. And what I mean by that is sometimes in the Hebrew Scriptures, um, Yahweh is invisible. He is spirit. But there are other stories when Yahweh seems to be very personified. In fact, he's visible. And he, he appears in human form. In fact, and on top of that, there are stories in the Hebrew Scriptures where it seems like both persons, both the invisible spirit Yahweh and the visible personified Yahweh, appear together in the same story. And so let me give you a few examples. Because they didn't come up with this just out of willy-nilly, you know, out of, out of someone had a, a bad pizza or something like that, and they just dreamt something or anything like that. What they did, they were reading their own scriptures, and they were taking God's word at face value. And so I'll give you a few examples of, of what I'm talking about. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, you don't have to turn there. That's not our text today. Our text, if you want to start turning there, is in Judges chapter 6. But in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10, here's what it says. Yahweh, that's the Lord, Yahweh came, stood there, and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. Now, this seems to be very odd. What does this mean? Yahweh, which we know is the personal name of the God of the universe. Yahweh came and... What does it mean he, he stood there? What does that mean? It's as if Yahweh is somehow in bodily form in this story. Okay? Another uh, interesting little uh, anecdote is in Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21... Here's the Lord speaking. He says, I am going to send an angel before you to protect you on the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Be attentive to him and listen to him. Do not defy him because he will not forgive your acts of rebellion. For my name is in him. And so here you have the, the angel, it's the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh leading Israel through the wilderness. And he's doing something very interesting. He has the ability to forgive sin. Now wait a minute. Only Yahweh can forgive sin because sin is a spiritual crime committed against Yahweh, God. Only Yahweh can forgive sin. But the Lord, Yahweh, is saying, my angel may not forgive your sin if you're rebellious. And not only that, the angel actually takes on the name of Yahweh. This is not something seen with Michael, Gabriel. It's not something seen with other angels. But this angel, the angel of Yahweh, takes on Yahweh's name. Very interesting. If you go all the way back to the incident where Moses is at the burning bush, right? 
great story. Let's read two verses in that story very carefully. Exodus chapter 3, verse 2 reads this way. Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame of fire within, the, within a bush. Got it? It's the angel within the, within the bush. Two verses later, verse 4. When Yahweh saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Which one is it? Is it God speaking to him from the bush? I thought the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, was there in the bush. What's going on here? And then we get to the text that we'll spend a little bit of time on today. Judges chapter 6, I invite you to turn there if you haven't already. And we have an interesting story where the Lord introduces himself in a very unique way to a man named Gideon. Now you might remember if you're a student of the Bible, Gideon, he had his 300, that came later. Here, this is the introduction. All right, so uh, Gideon's here on the scene. Here's what we have in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of Yahweh came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belongs to Joash, the Abiezrite. Joash's son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. Now, first of all, let me just say that it might not be too unusual for, the, for an angel to sit under a, a big oak tree. Okay, um, but, So here's what we have at the service. But Gideon's doing something sort of unusual himself. Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, there's an illustration that's going to appear on the screen behind me, and it shows you what a normal uh, threshing floor should look like. A threshing floor would be up on top of a hill or out in a wide plain. And what, it, what usually typically happened was that you'd have one individual that would be riding something called the threshing sledge. And he's going to be pulled by the horse, and you farmers are going to get upset at me the way I sort of illustrate this. But he's basically riding like a big cheese grater, okay? And so he's riding this thing along, and what it's doing is it's cutting down some of the grain that's been harvested. And then you might have someone else along, sort of, you see this guy in the background with some type of a spade, some type of shovel kind of instrument. And what he does, he scoops up what has been cut apart, and he throws it in the air, and the wind comes, and it blows the chaff. What's the chaff? The chaff is the worthless part of the grass. It has no nutritional value. It's very light and airy. The wind easily blows it away. But the grain, the grain is where the nutrition is. The grain is hefty. The grain is thick. The grain, because of its weight, will fall back down, and it become, you put it in the big pile. And then what do you do? You take the big pile to the marketplace, and you sell it to people, and you make money, and everything's good, right? And so this is sort of the process. This is what a threshing floor should look like. Gideon is in a wine press, hiding from the enemies, the Midianites. And this is what Gideon is basically doing. He's in a hole in the ground. That's not how you thresh wheat or grain. He's in a hole in the ground. You can imagine how much wind is in the hole in the ground. Not much, right? The walls of the ground protect it from the wind. And so this is not the most efficient way. 
in order to thresh wheat or grain. So what's going on here? He's hiding from the Midianites. Why? Because they're bullies. And if they saw him out in the field, they would come up to him, overpower him, and steal all of his grain, and now he's really in trouble. So he's trying to do all this in secret. He's hiding in a hole in the ground in a wine press. And then here's what we read in the very next verse. Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to him and said, Yahweh is with you, valiant warrior. Now, how in the world is this guy a valiant warrior? He's a chicken. He's in a hole in the ground, hiding from the others, right? Hiding from the enemies. He's not a valiant warrior. What's going on? Is the angel of the Lord mocking Gideon? Or, I think what's actually happening is, maybe the angel of the Lord knew something about Gideon that Gideon had not yet found out about himself. That he really was a valiant warrior. We've got to overcome this chicken stuff going on, but he really is a valiant warrior in his heart of hearts. And I think there's a lesson here for you and me, if I can just make a quick aside here. There's an important lesson here, it's this. You are not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. Please understand that. You are not who you think you are. You are who God says you are. God never lies. But you and I, we will lie sometimes. We will lie to ourselves. Other people will lie about us to ourselves. And if we're not careful... We really do begin believing lies about ourselves. But you are who God says you are. And maybe that's a big part of our problem. Maybe we believe ourselves more than we believe God. Maybe it's time that we get back into the scriptures and begin to read about who God says we are. Because that is the truth. Well, back to the story in verse 13. Gideon says to the angel of Yahweh, please, my Adonai, okay? And I'm, I'm using the Hebrew terms on purpose so you can see the difference. Because the word Lord in English is the same word as Lord in English, okay? So, but they're different, they're different words in the Hebrew. So I'm going to say it like Gideon. Gideon is saying, please, my Adonai. What he's saying is, please, sir. Please, master. And that's what you would do when a stranger comes along and you want to be hospitable to him. You want to, you want to give the stranger the place of honor. And so you'll consider yourself the servant. You'll consider the stranger the master. At this point, Gideon doesn't really know who this is. It's just a guy. Uh, and so he says, please, sir, if Yahweh is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders? That our ancestors told us about. They said, hasn't Yahweh brought us out of Egypt? But now, Yahweh has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Gideon's not happy with Yahweh. He does not know who he's talking to. Or else his attitude would be different. 
Verse 14. Yahweh turned to him. Time out. I thought he was having a discussion with the angel of Yahweh. What does this mean? Yahweh turned to him. And what's this, what's this imagery here of Yahweh turning? That's something a human would do. The human's looking this way. A human turns to him. What's going on here unless perhaps the angel of Yahweh is indeed Yahweh himself? Yahweh turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. And then we read in verse 15. Gideon said to him, Please, Adonai, please, sir, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, Yahweh said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then Gideon replied, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Verse 19. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat. When he prepared a young goat, it doesn't mean he got out a brush and a little bow tie and put it on the goat. No, no, no. That's not how he prepared the goat. When he prepared the goat, he got out a knife and got dinner ready. That's how he prepared the goat. So he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from half a bushel of flour. That's a lot of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on this stone, and pour the broth on it. So he did that. The angel of Yahweh extended the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of Yahweh vanished from his sight. Verse 22, when Gideon realized that he was the angel of Yahweh, he said, Oh, no, Yahweh Adonai. I have seen the angel of Yahweh face to face. Next verse. But Yahweh said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. When Gideon was in the fear of his life for being in the presence of Yahweh, Yahweh said to him, Shalom to you. You will not die. Now you might have noticed 
that even though Yahweh told Gideon shalom, the angel of Yahweh had already disappeared. What's going on here? The next verse we read, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. It is still in Ophrah of the Ubesiorites today. Now, let me talk about this concept, Shalom. Shalom is a beautiful, beautiful Hebrew concept. Shalom, when you have shalom, you have the absence of hostility. You have the absence of harm. When you have shalom, you have prosperity. You have wholeness. There's nothing left out. Shalom is a synonym for what is good. Hundreds of years before, one of the biblical heroes that we read about, Joseph. You remember him and his coat of many colors and his brothers who sold him off into slavery and and never to see him again, so they thought. And then later in the story, much later in the story, they actually stood before him. He's the vice regent of Egypt at this point, Joseph is. They stood before him and they're at his mercy. And they did not know if this vice-regent of Egypt would exact retribution on them for all the pain that they put him through. Joseph said to them, Shalom to you. Do not fear. When you have shalom, you have quietness and trust. When you have shalom, there's righteousness there. There's strength with shalom. There's tranquility with shalom. When you have shalom, you are experiencing God's steadfast love. When you have shalom, you have a future. You have joy. Now, all of these qualities that I've talked about that come with shalom, that come with the peace that only God can give. My question for you today is simply this. Is that, is that descriptive of your life today? Or would you say, no. I am missing out on shalom. All those things you talked about, that's not me. That's not my life right now. My life is in turmoil Everything is upside down and inside out. I don't have this shalom that you talk about. Listen to me. If you're missing the peace of God in your life, there's only one person who can give it, and it is God himself. It is Yahweh Shalom. He is peace. The Lord is peace. And so, we have Yahweh. He is not only the Father God, the Creator of all, the one who is invisible to us because He is Spirit, but Yahweh is also the person of God who meets us where we are. Yahweh 
is the second person of the Trinity as well. He is the Son of God. And he has been Yahweh from everlasting to everlasting. I want to show you one final thing about Yahweh. In Psalm 68, verse 4, it's just almost mentioned in passing, but this teaching is found in other passages as well. It's a very unique, sort of strange thing that we might say about Yahweh. Here's what it says. It says, Sing to God, sing praises to His name, exalt Him who rides on the clouds. His name is Yahweh. And celebrate before Him. So, quiz today, who is it who rides the clouds? It's Yahweh. It's the Lord, right? But then we turn to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, listen to this story. Daniel writes, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. I mean, this is, this is Yahweh. This is the Lord. Yahweh is the Ancient of Days, seated on the throne. But look at what happens a few verses later. In verse 13 of Daniel, 9, Daniel 7, rather, Daniel writes, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly... One like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. We have two persons in this story. We have the Ancient of Days on the throne, and we have the Son of Man riding the clouds approaching the Ancient of Days on the throne. How can this be? In fact, only Yahweh rides the clouds. So who is the Son of Man? So here's what we have. We have Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. He's seated on a throne and a second person, presumably also Yahweh, since he's riding the clouds, is riding the clouds. He's approaching the Yahweh that is on the throne. How in the world can this be unless there are at least two persons? who are both to be identified as Yahweh. And look at what the next verse says about this Son of Man who rides the clouds. He, the one who approached the Ancient of Days, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. What a strange teaching. But it might help us understand what happened to Jesus on the night that he was arrested hundreds of years later. When Jesus was arrested, he was questioned by the Jewish leaders, and they asked him this question. Tell us plainly if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And this is Jesus' reply. You have said it, but I tell you, In the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
The Jewish leaders who heard Jesus say that, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They knew who Jesus was claiming to be. Jesus was claiming to be the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7. He was claiming to be Yahweh himself. Jesus was claiming to be the second person in the Hebrew Scriptures that is identified as Yahweh, the one who rides on the clouds, which only Yahweh can do. And that's why the very next verse reads this way. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we need witnesses? See, you've heard his blasphemy. And so they crucified the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Because they did not believe that the prisoner standing before them was the second Yahweh of the Hebrew Scriptures. They crucified him. They crucified Yahweh who became flesh. But what they did not know was that this was exactly what Jesus, the Son of Man in Daniel 7, wanted to happen. Yahweh, the second person of God, he did become flesh. And he died on a cross to pay for your sins. Why? Here's why. Because it is your sin that separates you from Yahweh. And Yahweh loves you too much to let that happen without fixing it. And not only did Yahweh, the second person of God, become flesh and die on the cross, he also rose from the grave. He was resurrected. Now, why did he do that? He did that to defeat the one enemy that not any of us can defeat. And that enemy is death. Death is undefeated except by the Lord over death, by Yahweh. He defeated death by being raised from the grave. Jesus said, He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And then he asked a question that I want to ask you today. Do you believe this? If you don't believe what I've told you today, that is your right, that is your choice. I, I hope and pray that you will change your mind. But if today you have come to the realization of who Jesus is and what he did for you, and you believe that he was raised from the dead for you so that you could defeat death too, that he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, then your response to him is very simple. You simply need to follow him. He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the boss. He is the king. He is the one in charge. You need to willingly follow him. If you believe, that is the only logical response 
that you can give him to follow him now. And so if you today want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you do have to admit that you're a sinner, that he died on the cross to pay for your sins. You need to believe in him and who he is as the Lord. And you need to commit yourself to following him this day. Would you do that today?